This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad, coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm going to cover Bandersnatch by Diana Pavlek Glyer. The tagline, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, and the creative collaboration of the Inklings. This was book 50 out of 52 for my 2018 reading list. This episode will consist of three segments. The first will be a brief introduction to the book. Second segment, I'll share some key ideas that stuck out to me about the Inklings. And then the third segment is the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. So on to segment one, the author's Diana Pavlik Glyer. She is an American author, speaker, and teacher, and she's written extensively about C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, and the Inklings. Her work centers around this theme of creativity thriving in community, and that is a theme that has come up in a lot of the different books that I've read for this Books of Titans project. Uh, Walter Isaacson writes about it a lot, and he writes about it in, in, in a number of different contexts. And so this, that, this idea that the creativity thriving in community and, and that being opposed to the lone wolf uh, creative genius idea, um, but also working within that as well. So it was interesting to see a lot of those themes in, in this book. Uh, Diane is also a professor of English at Azusa Pacific University in California, uh, Tolkien and Lewis were both professors of English as well, so um, uh, a connection there with, with the author. The Inklings were a group of 19 members who met for, for 17 years in and around Oxford University in England. Uh, they met from 1932 to, to 1949, so you know, that was during World War II, um, and they met on a, on a weekly basis and would, would read each other's works to each other and uh, and. and have kind of a friendly group where they could share the the works that they were writing and get feedback, uh, critiques, and such. Uh, Lewis, if you're unfamiliar with him, his most famous work is, is probably the Chronicles of Narnia uh, in for fiction. And then nonfiction, he uh, wrote a number of Christian ap- apologetics books, uh, Mere Christianity and Problem of Pain being two of the most famous there. Tolkien's most famous for uh, The Lord of the Rings and, and then writing The Hobbit as well. So what is uh, Bandersnatch? Uh, the, the title of this book, it comes from uh, Lewis Carroll. And this is in Through the Looking Glass. Uh, there's a quote, you see, a minute goes by so fearfully quick, you might as well try to stop a bandersnatch. And then uh, C.S. Lewis took that and wrote this quote, no one ever influenced Tolkien. You might as well try to influence a bandersnatch. So these two quotes are at the very beginning of, of this book, and it sets the stage. Is that quote by Lewis true? No one ever influenced Tolkien. You might as well try to influence a Bandersnatch. This book kind of goes into that question. Uh, was Tolkien influenced? Was Tolkien influenced by Lewis? Was Tolkien influenced as part of the, the Inklings? Were these 19 members, uh, the, the 18 other members, when they were speaking with Tolkien, when they were hearing his work read, did they have some sort of an influence on Tolkien? And, and uh, we'll get it, we'll get into the answer of that, and that's what this this book uh, 
this book delves into. So the structure of the book, it's set up where each, each chapter will describe an aspect of the group, such as the importance of resonators, uh, people that resonate with, with the work you're doing, with the ideas that you have, um, the value of healthy critique, th- those kind of ideas, those kind of um, uh, aspects of, of, of the book. And then at the end of each chapter, uh, there's a little section where Diana puts a, a box in it and it says, uh, doing what they did. So this idea of of you being able to then implement these ideas from the inklings into your own creative group. So a, a strong push in this book to to have have your own community. And and then the last last chapter of the book, going into that even more of how you could create a a, a group that's similar to uh, the inklings. As for who suggested the book, I, I saw a friend of mine reading it, uh, Crystal Pageant. A uh, friend from college, uh, her her name is now Crystal Center, and um, uh, yeah, just on on Instagram, I saw her reading it. I'd never heard of the book until then, so I I put it on my Amazon wish list. And then uh, Jason, uh, my podcast co-host, you hear him on a lot of the earlier episodes. He bought it for me for Christmas in 2017, I believe. So I added it to my 2018 reading list. And and uh, if you're familiar with the Books of Titans project, I randomize my order once I've chosen my 52 books for the year. And so this book ended up towards the end of the year. Uh, if I had chosen, this probably would have been towards the beginning because it was one I was very excited about reading. But I read it between December 16th and December 20th of 2018. It's a 169 page book. I didn't track my reading at that time in, in terms of how long it took me to read the book, but um, it, it was over that uh, that four or five day day period there in, in December of 2018. As for my initial reaction, uh, I, I wrote that this was one of the most delightful books that I'd read for 2018. And and actually for this entire reading project uh, since 2017. The book holds a lot of uh, personal significance for me, and I'll, I'll describe that in the, the next segment. So initial reaction, just I, I, I loved it. Uh, as for who should read the book, if you love C.S. Lewis or Tolkien, this is a must-read. Uh, you will you will, you will will enjoy this book. Uh, if you're interested in, in the idea of collaboration and creativity, um, Ideas like, does creativity happen in seclusion or does it happen in groups? Uh, if, if you've been influenced by Walter Isaacson's work at all, this, this is one that you will, you will really enjoy. And then I'd take a, a step even further back and say, anyone interested in mythology and fantasy, it was, it was really amazing to see how these writers influenced each other. And a lot of the works that came out of the Inklings, uh, of, the, of the authors who were part of the Inklings, were fantasy. And, and these were people steeped in mythology. And so to see what books influenced them, the ideas, the myths, all that is, is really fascinating. Well, has nobody got anything to read us? That's how C.S. Lewis would start off each session of The Inklings. And uh, after tea was served and pipes were lit, of course, and he would say, well, has nobody got anything to read us? They'd meet in Lewis's office at Maudlin College in Oxford, or most famously in the Rabbit Room at the Eagle and Child Pub, which was also colloquially known as the Bird and the Baby. Diana describes her reason for for writing this book, and it comes on the very first page 
of Bandersnatch. And I'm just going to read these two paragraphs here. I was on a mission. Years before, when I was still in high school, I discovered The Lord of the Rings, and I was quite simply enchanted. Hungry for more books like it, I stumbled upon C.S. Lewis and Out of the Silent Planet. And soon after, I discovered that Tolkien and Lewis were friends. Both worked at Oxford University. They founded a writing group known as the Inklings. When I discovered the Inklings, I was only 16 years old, and I wanted to know the answers to two simple questions. What did these writers talk about when they met to discuss their works in progress? And what difference did these conversations make to the books they were writing? End quote. So that's Diana's reason for writing the book, and I had a very similar reason for wanting to read the book. So I I discovered Lewis, or I actually rediscovered Lewis when I was 18 years old. I had read Narnia when I was young. I I, I read some of the the books. Uh, I don't think I made it through many of them, uh, but I do remember reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And then in elementary school, I remember taking The Silver Chair, uh, part of the Chronicles of Narnia, into school to read during, uh, during like lunch, uh, reading, reading time. So I, and then I also remember, uh, carrying around an old paperback version of the Hobbit and don't recall if I, if I made it through the whole book, but, uh, when I was very young, I, I was, I was aware of, of Lewis and, and Tolkien. Uh, but when I was 18, I started reading some of Lewis's nonfiction work, uh, especially his his Christian apologetics books like um, The Great Divorce, Mere Christianity, The Four Loves, uh, The Problem of Pain. And it struck a chord with me, and, and I, I, I fell in love with Lewis's writing. And so by the time I was 20, I, I was I was in college, and I, I had a chance to study in another another country. And I chose Oxford University for the sole reason of wanting to be where C.S. Lewis had been. To see where he had lived, to visit the Eagle and Child pub where he had met with the Inklings, to walk around Modeling College where he had taught. I, I just wanted to be in the atmosphere, in the place where he had walked. He had had such an impact on me. I, I, I wanted to do that. And so I spent a summer at Oxford. Uh, the, I was at the University of Georgia, and they had a program that, uh, where you could spend the summer in Oxford. So I spent, um, uh, not the full summer, but it was, it was a six-week program. And during that time, I took two courses at Oxford. Uh, I'll talk about those in, in, in segment three, but um, it, it, it was a great experience. I loved being at the Eagle and Child and, and seeing that area where they met walking around Maudlin College, walking the, the paths along the river there, um, going to the Union Library and, and finding original books by C.S. Lewis, opening them and just even just smelling them. Uh, I, I was all in, and, and it was a, a great experience. But those were the questions that I was seeking. Uh, I was more on the side of, of C.S. Lewis, of, of what did Oxford do? What did that atmosphere do for his writing? Uh, but but I also knew about the Inklings, and I, I was curious as to how all that led to the works by C.S. Lewis. So, did the Inklings, did the members of the Inklings influence each other, or was that Bandersnatch quote that I read before was that was that correct? And what we see in Bandersnatch, what we see in this book, is that the Lord of the Rings, especially, was was a was a book that was brought about by the influence of the 
of the Inklings. Uh, there, there are many sections of this book that describe, in particular, how Lewis and the Inklings influenced this work. Uh, in fact, the, it, it wouldn't have been written if it were not for Lewis. But then the role of the, the Inklings played, here's, here's a, a quick section about that. Tolkien began The Lord of the Rings in December of 1937, and he completed the typescript in 1949. That means Tolkien was writing his new Hobbit for most of the time that the Inklings were meeting. The book occupied a prominent place year after year in the course of their meetings. End quote. Uh, another idea that comes up over and over in Bandersnatch is, is this idea I mentioned before of were, were Tolkien and Lewis, were they lone wolves? Uh, creative geniuses that that worked alone, or were they were they influenced by each other? Were they did the Inklings have an important role in the works that we know now of them? And so I just want to read a few different paragraphs in in one section in particular that that answer this question. A very different way of viewing the creative process has been gaining ground. Innovation thrives in the courts of 16th century Florence, say, or the coffee shops of Enlightenment London, or the campus of Pixar, or a little pub in Oxford called the Eagle and Child. Ideas arise in conversation. Projects emerge when two strong personalities argue and then, intrigued by new possibilities, agree to work together. A quiet suggestion leads to a whole new point of view. Caustic critique gives rise to a different vision altogether. Two inventions by two different creators take shape along parallel lines, enhancing both. An idea contributed by someone from an entirely different discipline proves the key to breakthrough. Collaborators combine knowledge and experience from wildly different sources, providing needed information that others do not and could not know. Another paragraph. More and more, normal creativity starts to look a lot less like a lone genius stuck with a single breathtaking insight and a whole lot more like a series of sparks coming from different directions, each spark inspiring something new. Here's a, a paragraph further on. It is true that personal innovation can be enhanced by community. It is also true that a great group depends upon the contributions of great people. We won't get ahead if we simply replace the idea of the bold individual with the idea of the collaborative collective. We need to s something we need to start something bigger, thinking bigger. We affirm both. And then the final paragraph, Charles Williams observed, much was possible to a man in solitude, but some things were possible only to a man in companionship. And of these, the most important was balance. No mind was so good that it did not need another mind to counter and equal it and to save it from conceit and blindness and bigotry and folly. Just loved the, those paragraphs in that section uh, in, in talking about the different different parts of collaboration, how how it can impact. Uh, but I also loved that that Diana said we affirm both. We affirm both the collaborative collective and the bold individual. There's a great great balance there in in how she wrote about that. Final thing I want to mention from, from this book that, uh, that stuck out was the idea of critiques. And, and then just further, the idea of, of or, or the reason, why did the Inklings eventually break up in 1949? And Diana talks about uh, one of the members, uh, Hugo Dyson. And he got to the point where he hated the Lord of the Rings. And so when Tolkien would read sections of the Lord of the Rings... Dyson would shut him down. 
he would he would sit he said he would he would be lying on the couch and lolling and shouting and saying oh god no more elves uh the, and this this was not approved of by the other members but previous to that so this was like 1949 so previous to that if if there were critiques it was it was a friendly critique these were these were very intelligent people giving critique that would would oftentimes help the author think of things in a new way or or take the writing to a different level but dyson's critique was something different and it was it was more of shutting down tolkien and tolkien would not uh, he was shy and so he would just not fight back and that ended up shutting down the inkling so here here's how uh, Diana writes about that. After Dyson began to veto Tolkien's reading, Thursday night meetings began to wind down. In attacking these readings, Dyson was attacking the very reason for the group. In limiting the participation of one of its members, Dyson eroded its spirit. It is one thing to cr- criticize an author. It is another to shut him down. There is a difference between conflict and contempt. Dyson delivered an axe blow to the root of the tree. The inklings, inklings were shaken, and they never quite recovered. End quote. Just to think that that shutting down, that can kill. That can kill ideas. And we just look, I, 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 this made me think of the Coddling of the American Mind book, which, uh, which we covered last year uh, on the podcast. But with college campuses now in, in, and... Uh, speakers being invited to speak and then being disinvited. Uh, like, we don't even want you to come and express your ideas because uh, they're dangerous. So we're not, we're not, we're not going to allow you to speak. We're just going to shut you down. And how that can, that has further ramifications than just disinviting the speaker to, to speak. That it, it, It's shutting it down. It's killing it. And that, that, uh, Dyson shutting down of Tolkien is what eventually broke up the Inklings. It's an amazing thing to to consider if uh, if you are part of a creative group, uh, or if you're part of a a company and you're trying to to create ideas and have brainstorming sessions. It, it has to be structured in a way that that creativity can come out, that ideas can come out without being completely shut down. So it's a great reminder in Banner Snatch here. Now into segment three and the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. I'm going to set this one up here just a little bit. I, uh, in segment two, I mentioned that I studied at Oxford. I just want to go into a little bit of the, the class structure. So I, I took two classes while I was at Oxford, and they were each an hour long. I took history of the English Reformation and Old Testament literature. Each class an hour per week, which may sound like a dream, uh, like I had a, a ton of free time, and and I did have a lot of free time, and and I only took two courses, so it wasn't you know like a full load or anything, but the that two hours of class can be deceiving because in between each class I would have to read a number of books, uh, sometimes up to seven books, and they would be on the same topic, so. You would read the first book and, and kind of get, get an idea of that topic, and then the second one, and then by the third one, you you had a pretty good idea of where you fell and what 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 you thought of that topic, because you had read from different viewpoints 
on the same idea. By book seven, you 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 were you were ready to write a paper about it because you you had seen the pros and the cons and the the this side of the story, that side of the story. So yes, one hour of class, but many, many, many hours of reading and and writing between that time. So then when you did have that one hour of, of class per week per per uh, per course uh, called t- tutorials, you would go in and there were two other students. And the professor, who's called an Oxford Don, uh, Don D-O-N. So there's the Oxford Don, three students, and that's it. One of the students in that hour stands up and reads their paper. After they read their paper, the Oxford Don uh, gives feedback, asks questions, and then the other two students do the same. And so it's an amazing setup because when you go into that class you have to know more than what's in your paper once you're done reading your paper that it's it's not like most of my schooling where you would write a paper you turn it in and, and that's that's the end of it you, you get a grade after that no this this was the the turning in the paper was just the first part then you were answering questions you you were having to dig deeper than what you had just written in that paper so you you had better go into that tutorial knowing more than what you had written about in, in the class. So the reason I mention that is that sets up the thing that stuck out to me most in Bandersnatch. And I'm going to read from page 25 here. There is nothing unusual about their procedure. Uh, taking myself out of the quote here for a second, they're talking about the, the way the Inklings meetings were set up. There is nothing unusual about their procedure. Walter Hooper notes that this habit of reading papers aloud and submitting them for comment was typical of Oxford clubs. He writes, the usual practice in most Oxford societies, literary or otherwise, is for the speaker to read a paper. It is, I think I can safely say, as much the expected things that a speaker will have a paper to read to his audience as that a student will have an essay in his hand when he goes to a tutorial. Extensive reading, careful listening, and thoughtful critique marked these weekly meetings. Tolkien expressed heartfelt appreciation for the liveliness and candor of the group, noting even though the discussion often became heated, he felt safe from contention, ill will, detraction, or accusations without evidence. End quote. When I read that, that that just it amazed me because these meetings were not unusual. The Inklings meetings were not some sort of special meeting, and that's how we got these books. The 19 members of the Inklings were doing exactly what they knew what to do. They, they were doing what they were doing on a weekly basis as Oxford Dons in their tutorials, in their, in their classes. This is what they were doing with their students. They just took that idea and did it in a group setting amongst friends, amongst other literary people, geniuses. And that, that just, it, it stuck out to me because in, in my, in my quest to find out what made the Inklings so special, I thought there has to be something unique that they did. There has to be something crazy to to get, to have the the Lord of the Rings come out of this, to, to have the Chronicles of Narnia, to have these brilliant minds all together. But they were doing what they knew. It was not unusual. And I thought that was so cool. And there has to be some sort of a lesson in that, that their meetings were structured. They, they would follow a similar format and how a st- 
started off segment two with with uh, Lewis's question. Well, has nobody got anything to read us? That's how they would start each one. There was there was tea at the beginning. There was there there were pipes that were lit, and uh, but then it would follow a structure from there. So this is what they were doing in their profession. This is what they did in their meetings. It was not unusual, but the results were extraordinary. To recap, this was the most delightful book on my 2018 reading list. Uh, it, it, it covered questions I'd been thinking about for 18 years. And a lot of the questions I had going and studying at Oxford in the year 2000 were not answered until I read Bandersnatch in 2018. So it was delightful in that sense of the questions I've kind of carried around with me for, for many years. Uh, if, if, if you have similar questions, if you are a lover of C.S. Lewis's books, of Tolkien's books, of Charles Williams's books, you will love this book. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com to let me know what you th- thought of this episode or, or other ones. Uh, if you've read Bandersnatch and just want to talk, talk about it with somebody, that's Eric with a K. So it's eric, E-R-I-K, at booksoftitans.com. You can also follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. And the web- website is stocked full of resources to help you find books and create your own reading list. Uh, Remember now that the podcast will release every two weeks. And so the next episode is likely going to be the Bible. I have been reading the Bible since January 1st of 2020. It is February 20th, and I am nearing the end. I I have about 200 pages left to go. So I should be finished by, by the time the next episode comes out. And I know it's absurd to cover a book of that length in one podcast episode, but I want to do that. I want to cover one or two just main themes that I saw across the entire Bible. Uh, so check, uh, keep an eye out for that episode that'll be out in a couple weeks from this one. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out. Mm-hmm.